Welcome to the Camloops Alliance Church podcast. This podcast is meant to provide you with excellent content that will equip you to follow Jesus well. These will be raw and authentic conversations covering relevant and important topics pertaining to Camloops Alliance and our mission, vision, and values. We will cover relevant theological topics, cultural trends, and commentary, as well as provide you with great resources and tools to apprentice Jesus. Pastor Chris hosts conversations with guests both from the larger church community as well as our local community to give their views and perspective. Our first episode features Pastor David Wood. David Wood is the Senior Associate Pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church. Pastor Chris sat down with David and discussed how the early church responded to and actually grew in size and influence during the first few hundred years of the church's existence. In the midst of pandemics, crisis, and turmoil, the earliest Christians drew from the teachings and examples of Jesus and loved their neighbor instead of looking after themselves. In our current cultural moment, there are many parallels to learn from. Enjoy this 35-minute conversation with Pastor Chris and David Wood. I'm here with uh, David Wood, a colleague, well, former colleague, we used to work together, but uh, I guess colleague still in, a, in some senses. Uh, David Wood, the uh, Senior Associate Pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church. David, thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, it's so good to be here. It's good Especially to be with, with an you. old friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, David, just to kind of break the ice a little bit, just tell me about you, your family, job, educational background, kind of what you do with your time, all that sort of stuff. Sure. What I do with my time now is I'm on the internet a lot, uh, especially in these <laughs> in these strange times. Yes. Uh, you know, my background, so I work as a senior associate pastor at uh, Coquitlam Alliance Church. I've been on staff here for 17 years, been pastoring in Coquitlam for about 20 years. Um, married, three kids, two in university, one in grade 11, and, uh, and we're hanging around uh, together quite a bit these days, so that's kind of cool. Uh, my background, education background, uh, is a lot of history. Uh, well, I did political philosophy as an undergrad and um, master's in church history and a, a demon, a doctorate of ministry with a focus on, on church history and revival. And uh, most of my time is spent, um, I oversee discipleship at the church, do a lot of the teaching, and I oversee our internship program. And so I work with about uh, six of our interns, just helping them discern whether or not they're called into pastoral ministry. So that's a lot of fun. And these days, again, it's a lot of teaching, a lot of recording, and a lot of online meetings. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think everybody's getting used to that new reality for sure. Um, yeah, with your with your educational background, with history and church history and, and revivals, I just thought it'd be such a great time to record some thoughts about um, Christianity and how Christians have responded in times of mm. crisis like this. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the phrases I remember you always saying uh, when we worked together at Coquitlam Alliance was uh, that church history is the best apologetic for Christianity or something along those lines. Um, what, do, what do you mean by that? Like, why is it important for us as Christians to know our heritage and, and history? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, our faith is rooted in uh, a person and an event. And the event, well, the person is Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, but the event, uh, well, the person is Jesus Christ. The event is his life, death, and resurrection, which takes place in history. Our faith is uh, takes place in history. That's why it's it's sometimes messy. Uh, when you read the Bible, it's not uh, it's not um, 
like a lot of the uh, Greek understandings of who God is, you know, nice and tidy and, and abstract. Uh, God is a God who operates in the messiness of history and the fullness of time. Jesus entered into history. Like the, 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 uh, the word became flesh and entered into history at a specific time in a specific place. And so history uh, locates us. Mm. And uh, we need to be located, uh, especially in a, in a technological world, which dislocates us. I mean, you think about the word cyberspace, where, where in the world is cyberspace? I mean, mm. and so one of the things that I think is so important is for Christians to know history. Because what history does is it gives us perspective. It, it reminds us that God is active in and through the messiness of day-to-day lives of you and me. Um, and I think that's important because it helps us to uh, to be attentive to the activity of God in the not just in our own moment, but maybe in the years leading up to this and helps us to to get a sense of uh, a place and where we're at and perspective. Mm-hmm. Part of our issue, and this is a, another class that I teach on, but part of our issue is uh, we live in a culture uh, in the modern world. And one of the characteristics of the modern world is that it's it's myopic it's or it's uh, ahistorical. And it's just um, everybody is like caught inside a cubicle and all they know is their cubicle. And uh, they're trying to make sense of the world. They're trying to make sense of life. They're trying to make sense of what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. But they're they're within this this tiny cubicle and all they have access to is the immediate present. And what history does is it allows you to lift your head up over the cubicle, over the four walls and say, huh, I'm actually part of a bigger story that started long before I came on the scene and will carry on long after I leave the scene. And that I think that brings you into what the psalmist calls a spacious place and helps you understand your life and what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's beautiful. When we think about apologetics and a defense of Christianity, or um, being able to to answer how does how does uh, church history help us kind of defend our faith? Well, like the uh, author of Ecclesiastes puts it, there's not a whole lot new under the sun, and so a lot of the arguments that you hear against you know the Christian faith are not new; they've been around for a long time. And uh, knowing how people have answered these questions, I mean, when people are asking questions, I mean, John Calvin always puts it better than I do, right? Or, yeah. right, right. Or, uh, you know, uh, Irenaeus has, has better insights than I do, or Athanasius has better insights than I do. And so, by being familiar with, with history, you recognize how people have responded to some of the challenges to our faith. And you also recognize that there's not a lot of new challenges. Also, um, I find that a lot of people, when they are criticizing, if they're trying to attack Christianity, they try to bring in history, but really they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and, and so I, I love, I remember one time I was in a situation where, um, where I was on this, uh, on a ferry going over to the island and, uh, Oh, this one woman was there and she said, so what are you guys, uh, who are you guys? What are you guys doing? I said, well, we're pastors. And she goes, oh, so you like Jesus? And we're like, well, yeah, yeah, we sure do. And she goes, well, you know, 
this whole idea of Jesus being God just comes out of, you know, this power play by Constantine in the in 325. There was actually a lot of gospels around, but through this manipulation and use of power, Constantine reduced it to four. And everybody before 325 AD saw Jesus simply as a good teacher and a man. It's only the Council of Nicaea that made him into God and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, oh, I said, you've been reading Dan Brown, the Da Vinci Code. And she's like, no. I said, well, you just quoted him for the last five minutes. And I said, I said, if you actually know the history, you'll know that everybody before 325 AD knew Jesus was God. The question was, just how is he God and how is he human? Right. And see, if you know history, you don't get, you know, the average person might just get thrown off by that question. Mm-hmm. People come up to me and say, oh, you're a Christian. Well, what about the Crusades? And I say, well, well which one? And I usually get blank looks. And it's like, well, I mean, because those are really important questions to ask. You know, which crusade are you referring to? If right. you know Christian history, you can also yeah, respond to a lot of the nonsense people throw around about, well, Christians of, you know, Science and faith is an example. Well, you know that Christianity has always been in opposition to science. I'm like, really? I said, is this a Christian worldview that actually gave rise to Western science? Why do you think science, you know, came about in the West? It's the idea that the creation is knowable. Right. That we can use reason to understand the intelligibility of creation. I mean, that's a Christian understanding. And so this idea that science and faith have been uh, at odds is also um, a bit of a uh, is a bit of a myth. And so you can you can bust a lot of myths if you know history. That's helpful. Super helpful. And I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on was to kind of understand how Christians in times of crisis have have responded. And because it helps us, I think, in our moment, as you said, situate ourselves in mm-hmm. in 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 a, in a story that's way, way bigger and longer um, th- than us. So, um as we think back on church history, this isn't the only time that we've gone through crisis. Um, can you maybe sketch out for us the first few centuries, um, different uh, the two crises or the pandemics or the plagues that that the, that happened in Rome and kind of what happened there and what happened to the church? Yeah, I mean, um, in, in the early church, in the first few centuries, I mean, there's a, I mean, pandemics were <laughs> were were common. Um, I mean, there's the um, there is one uh, real devastating plague that takes place um, in 165 A.D. that sweeps through the Roman Empire. Uh, may have been the first appearance of smallpox in the West, um, but we have to. <laughs> this is perspective. The the uh, epidemic lasted for 15 years. 15 years, <laughs> not, not not two weeks. 15 wow. years, wow. and by best estimates, their estimates, about one quarter to one third of the Roman population died. And, uh, you know, imagine, you know, one third of Canada. Um, I mean, we've had a, I mean, I think the numbers today are like 20, 23 people through the coronavirus. And, you know, 23 is still 23, but it's not one third of Canada, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, So that was a huge one. And then there's another plague that takes place in 251 AD. And it may have been measles, uh, we're not sure, but it was reported that upwards of 5,000 people were dying a day in Rome alone. And uh, now there's a guy named Rodney Stark, he's a sociologist, and he's done some really interesting work on this. And he noticed that um, around the time of those two plagues that the uh, population of Christians increase. They, they, there's a spike in, in the number of Christians. And there's a reason for that is one of the things Christians did in that time is rather than running away, 
and a lot of people could run away, uh, Christians didn't run away. And they, they, they leaned in. The pagan response was to run and hide. And there's a reason for that, because they run and hide, because you die, you die. I mean, for the most people, if you're going to die, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you're higher up in society, maybe you'll come back as a god or something, you know. But uh, it's, it's pretty much mortality was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians, I mean, what's driving them? They said, you know, the worst thing that you and I could ever experience will not be the last thing. The last right. thing is always the eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that was a game changer. Uh, the other mm-hmm. understanding is that Jesus uh, understood suffering. And so when we lean into suffering, we we encounter Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so rather than running to the hills, the Christians leaned in and they uh, and, and Stark talks about uh, just through two things, uh, providing water and food and touch. Wow. Um, increases a person's uh, survival rate dramatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Christians were, it didn't matter if they were, um, you know, pagan or Christian or whatever, the Christians just leaned in. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the point that um, one of the leaders, one of the Roman leaders at the time, sends a note to his uh, to his own pagan priest and says, get back, get your tails back into town. These Christians, they're actually looking after our guys. They're looking after our people. Step it up. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's such a cool picture of... Um, uh, rather than succumbing to fear, uh, Christians leaned in and they did whatever they could to extend love and compassion. Now, as uh, Bruce Heimarsh, historian Bruce Heimarsh, has just pointed out recently in an article that, uh, you know, today, one of the best ways we can love our neighbor is by actually staying away, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the uh, social distancing. And yet you can be social di- socially distanced and still express care and love and not... Mm-hmm abandon your neighbor, right? You can say, do you need help? Do you need... So anyhow, that it's really interesting demographically, just the, uh, the number of Christians, uh, those two epidemics, the, uh, the number of Christians, uh, d- just spiked and, uh, mm-hmm. Stark says that those are, those are key moments in the church's, uh, history. And, and if I understand you correctly, it's, it was those types of moments that actually the church grew. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where the church <laughs> grew. Again, you, if you look at the numbers, there's these uh, two two spikes, and they both take place right around that uh, that those two periods, those two uh, plagues. Well, wow, that's so fascinating. You uh, before we talked, you said you know there's four four big reasons why the church grew in in the middle of, of these times of crisis. The first one uh, is that the 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 church exercised patience. Tell me about that. Yeah, and and I am drawing. There's a guy named Alan Kreider who's uh, done a really interesting book, and the book is called "The uh, Patient Ferment of the Early Church," mm. and uh, and he talks about uh, patience. It's interesting. Um, the early church talked a lot about patience, uh, even though nobody else did. Um, they, there are three treatises on the importance of patience because they believe God is patient and Jesus himself demonstrates patience. Um, and this is, okay, this is geeky, but I'm gonna tell you, there's a church father named Tertullian. And uh, he, this is what he says. I actually have his quote. He says, now nothing undertaken through impatience can be transacted without violence. When we're impatient, we tend towards violence. And everything done with violence is either met with no success or is collapsed or plunged to its own destruction. He says, you know, as Christians, we need to be patient. And they say God is patient. Um, You think about in the in the fullness of time, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, patience um, pushes back against um, when you're patient, you are no longer tempted to manipulate outcomes. 
Hmm. When you're patient, you re, you reject hurry sickness. It's countercultural. It's not violent. Patience promotes freedom to the other. And it's hopeful. Patience says, you know what? At the end of the day, our future is in God's hands. Wow. And so, yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. There's no, there are no treatises in the early church on how to evangelize your, your pagan neighbor, but there's three treatises on, on patience. And I think that kind of speaks volumes. That is telling. I, I think that's even helpful now, you know, as people are locked up in their homes and there's this general sense of like, when is this going to be over? And, and, and yet mm. the virtue that Christianity offers us is patience that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. So how, how did, how did that early church in the, in the, in the middle or these early Christians in the middle of these pandemics, how how did they exercise patience? Was it more of a, we wait on God for tomorrow's outcome or what did that look like for them? Yeah. I mean, I mean, part of it, I mean, part of it is, is the context. I mean, you have, you have an early church that actually doesn't have a lot of social power in, in the Roman, in the Roman world. So, um, and so the, the, the sense of we got this or we're in control, I don't think was a real uh, temptation for the early church compared to today, where, you know, the, the biggest issue that we have in our culture today, one of the biggest issues is that we think we're in control and we're not. And we, we, you know, we can change the world. We can do whatever we want, but the early church recognized that, you know what, um, our lives belong in God's hands. And so we will, on a day-to-day basis, practice his presence. We will do the next thing, recognizing that all of our days, all of our future is in God's hands. And, and, and there's nothing we can do to change that. We may think we're in control. Well, they didn't think they were. We today we do. Yeah. Uh, we may think we're in control, but we're not. Mm. And so, um, and and here's the other thing: is one of the things that um, you see in church history is you see um, the importance of endurance. Right. I remember historian uh, Sarah Williams, she talked about this. She says, in our day today, we don't lack in great causes. There's lots of great causes. What we lack in is endurance. Right. And, and it's interesting today. It's like, all right, let's hunker down. And after three days, we're losing our heads. It's like, ah, oh, this is right. too hard. Well, it's only, be- yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, that's really good. I, I think uh, the second reason he said that the church grew in these early, early crisis moments was because it held a vision for what it means to be human. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, one of the uh, strengths of the early church is that um, it lived out the fact that uh, every human being, every human being was made in the image of God and had dignity and value. And that included people in society who were not seen as human, like slaves. Slaves, according to Aristotle, are like they're, they're, they're things, they're machines, they're, they're tools, not machines, they're, they're tools. Right. And uh, the uh, early church says, uh, no, hmm. they are also made in the image of God. Women who are seen as subhuman. And the early church says, no, women, women have value. They have dignity and value because they too are made in the image of God. And um, now you have to realize for, for the church to say that, that got them in all sorts of trouble because most of the uh, religions uh, were just male dominated. Um, Roman society was male dominated. There's a, a lot, there's a lot of studies to show there's just demographically just very few women. Uh, and whenever you have a population where there's a surplus of males and a shortage of women, it tends to lead to oppression against women. 
And right. so women were quite oppressed in, in the Roman Empire. But churches, uh, and, and as a result, um, the Roman Empire, a lot of women were, were seen as scarce goods and were usually um, uh, objectified, sexualized, lost mm-hmm. to prostitution. Mm-hmm. And so I always think of um, the example of uh, if you think of a, a woman who's who's you know, a slave, I mean, a double, double whammy there, mm-hmm. um, and, and being used and abused. And yet when she gathers together in this, in this house church, you'll have an aristocrat or you'll have a slave, you'll have people from all different backgrounds sharing bread and saying, here you go, my sister calling her by name. You're not a thing. You are a person. And man, that, that spoke volumes, that spoke mm-hmm. volumes. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the, the early church grew the way it did. Mm. Because there was just this this impulse of when everybody was leaving Rome because of these plagues, the Christian impulse was to say, no, everybody, regardless of who you are, is worthy of dignity even in their last moments. And so we need to go wow. in and 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 help and and love these people, uh, even in the midst of everybody fleeing and looking inward about how to save themselves. The Christians mm. went outward. Absolutely. And 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 the key takeaway I think for us today as a church is that um what drives our our behavior does is it the latest feed or the latest numbers that drives our behavior or do we is our is our behavior driven by the revealed truths of God's word and it's a big difference right you're not reacting to to uh to the news or to your feed you're living uh in sync with God's revealed purposes for the world yeah and it, it's, it's, there's two stories that you can live. The one story is save myself, hoard toilet paper, do whatever it takes to look after number one. Or the other story is the way of Jesus and him bringing dignity to every person that he met. And the, those of us who follow Jesus now do the same, even in times of crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So good. Yeah. That's great. Uh, the third reason you mentioned the uh, the early church grew in the middle of these crises is it because it responded differently in crisis. So, talk to me about that. What did they do? H- how did this? How did their response even make for growth in the early church? Well, what happened is is a couple things. One is that you had the church again instead of running away, they lean in and. Uh, now, if they uh, got the plague and they died, okay, well, that's that's no good. But if they didn't die, they tended to have, to build up immunity. Um, the other thing is is by offering simple care to those who are dying, um, created the um, gave greater uh, chance for the person to recover. And if a person recovers and they know that the reason that they've been cared for is because of this person, Jesus Christ, my guess is that if they had a choice between whatever pagan God or pagan worship or Jesus, they're going to be drawn to Jesus. And so a lot of the people, a lot of the pagans who are looked after by the Christians uh, ended up joining the church um, and, and the church just grew as a result. Yeah. So the, the crisis equated to an opportunity. It did. It actually did. Um, and, and I don't know if the early church saw it as that. I think they just, they just saw it as a, as a chance. This is what Christians do. This is who we are. We're not going to mm-hmm. do this in a strategic sense. We're going to do this because 
what else are we going to do? This is a this is a way of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, we, you kind of mentioned it already, and I think the tension that you know, even I'm feeling as a church leader is, um, you know, with with the social distancing and the most responsible thing that we can do right now is is distance ourselves to to not lean in in the same way. So maybe flesh that out a little bit more. How do you think? How do you think we respond differently, um, both with the the story that we're telling ourselves about our moment and the love of neighbor as well? Yeah, and it's it's a real tension right now. Um, I mean, I hear people, a lot of people saying, well, social, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I, I find fascinating is that uh, in a uh, in in the modern world where we pretty much jettison objective right and wrong, um, there is so much moralism floating around on Twitter and on the internet. And I, I heard Alan Jacobs talk about this once. He says, in every society, there's always going to be a collective moral expression, uh, even if even in a society that doesn't believe in right and wrong. So here we have a society that one doesn't believe right and wrong, but are being are losing their heads in, in moralism and saying, how dare you break that, you know, that bubble or how dare you break that, that, uh, social distancing, um, which I find, you know, quite interesting. The other thing is, uh, you know, in a world, in a modern world where our seniors are seen as expendable through the introduction of medical assistance and dying and different things. And yet there seems to be this real emphasis is we need to save the seniors, which I, I think is actually a, a great development in some ways. Um, so, sorry, that didn't answer your question, but I just wanted to get that in. Um, <laughs> it's all good. I think, I think that uh, one of the things we need to do is we need to pay attention to the call to social distance. We need to pay attention to what our government's saying, just out of respect. And yet at the same time, and this is difficult, remember our Lord and our trust is not our health minister. Mm-hmm. As much as you know, I respect her and what she's doing uh, in BC, um, our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ. And so you need discernment. You need wisdom. Yes, uh, we need to um, you know, maybe express care by, by staying away. Um, but as much as we can, we need to somehow maintain the personal um, in whatever way we can. My neighbors, I remember my neighbors uh, a couple days ago, they all got, it was a beautiful day. They all got their chairs and they all sat in front of their houses and they sat in their chairs and talked to, talked to each other across the street. And it was awesome. We we were all chatting with each other, socially distanced, but it was personal and it was connected. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to, and one of the things I know um, your church is doing and our church is doing is that we're calling as everybody within our church and then touching base. And as soon as we're done, we're going to call them again. Um, and that is spoken values and uh, is, has been quite, quite valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, this is one of the benefits. I'm, I'm such a I give technology such a hard time, but uh, man, I mean, there, there is, I've been doing a lot of uh, connecting with people just online and then talking to them, Skyping with them, FaceTime. I have a, a couple of friends of mine in, in England that they're 
basically quarantine, but uh, we've been doing FaceTime uh, conversations. And so within the current reality, we need to maintain the personal and as much as we can maintain the face-to-face personal. Yeah, you can be distanced, but you can still speak Mm -hmm. to one another, look into each other's eyes and show care and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a time for the church to get really creative. And one of the benefits and blessings is these technological tools that we have that the early church did not have. Yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, the, the last reason uh, the early church grew in these times of crisis, and I, I love this, that Christians were a peculiar people. Um, talk to me about that. What do you mean by peculiar? What, what was, what, what, what did they do that was strange or peculiar? Well, one of the things that the church has to remember, uh, especially today when we're, we're so focused on being a cool church, we're not like those other church. We're a cool, you know, to follow Jesus will always make you odd. There's just no getting around it. You yeah. know what, who gives away money? Um, who, you know, who does the things that they, I mean, you think about the early church, everybody's running to the Hills. If you could run to the Hills, run to the Hills. They're not. Well, who does that? Mm-hmm. And and the early church was open to all sorts of uh, criticisms, like, um, you know, just mi- misunderstandings. They say, oh, these guys are a bunch. They practice incest because apparently they do these holy kisses and they call each other brother and sister. I mean, they didn't, and they're cannibals. Right? Or they're eating the body and the blood of Jesus, you know, all sorts of strange criticisms. Right. But the thing is, as, as a church, we live our lives before an audience of one. Mm-hmm. And so... We live before Jesus and we have to recognize that that when you live your life authentically before Jesus, it will make you peculiar. It, it mm-hmm. will make you odd. And one of the reasons why the early church was persecuted is because they didn't play ball. I mean, you're supposed to, when you enter into a marketplace, take a pinch of incense and say, Kaiser et curious, Caesar's Lord. And you're like, yeah, no, Jesus is Lord. Well, who right. does that? Let's say Caesar's Lord and worship your Jesus. Like, no, I can't do that. The only one who's Lord is Jesus. All right, we're going to kill you. Uh, okay, well, I guess that's the way it's going to be. I mean, <laughs> who does that? Most people don't do that. But right. we live before, because we the Christians knew that death, because of the resurrection, death doesn't have any power. Mm. Death isn't the final word. And I remember my friend Ivan uh, always says this, uh, that um, the biggest danger to tyrants of the world is the resurrection. Yeah, it is. I mean, because a tyrant says, well, I'm going to kill you. Is that all you got? <laughs> well, okay. And, you know, we're not going to rush into death, but we just don't need to be afraid of it. Well, mm-hmm. that really stands out in a world, especially today. Think of our world today. That is all about control. That is all about, you know, somehow defeating death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we say, you know, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that, that you, the implications of that will always make you a strange bunch. And, and whenever the church has been the church, I mean, look at Saint Francis of Assisi. I think about him and his followers in the uh, late 12th century. Um, you get you get Francis. And um, at that time period, what is the biggest fear in the world? The biggest fear in the world is poverty. Mm. If you live in the Middle Ages and you're poor, you die. Well, what does Francis and his followers embrace? Lady Poverty. Right. We're going to embrace poverty. So, well, who does that? But here's the thing. The church always operates the best when it embraces and leans into the fears of society. Hmm. And so you think about today, what's the biggest fear? We're not in control. And the church says, yeah, 
our response is not let's get into control. It's just like, yeah, but you know what? God is, and that's good enough. Right. I, I heard somebody say this week, you know, what, what we believe about tomorrow affects our today. Mm, and, very good. Th- yeah. you know, there, there is that sense, um, a, a really stark reminder right now, what do I believe about tomorrow? Yeah. You know, like, and for us in the West, I have just seen this bucket of cold water on us to think, wait a second, this doesn't happen to us with, with ingenuity and innovation and technology and all of these things, which are good things, we can solve the problems that ail us. And so it's been fascinating just to see, even in my own journey about like, this, this doesn't happen, but, but, but in that, you know, the pressure of, of this really makes you figure out what do I believe? Yeah. And, and, and do, have I just, um, believed a counterfeit Christianity that exists to serve me and it's about self-actualization or do I believe that Jesus is Lord and that my life is best lived when I obey his word and, you know, live in his spirit. And and I I think it's this uh, pressure moment that really is making, I think, the church come to grips with what do I actually believe? Absolutely. Well, it's, uh, I, I always remember Dallas Willard saying this. He says, the challenge of the Christian life, the biggest challenge of the Christian life is to believe what we say we believe. Mm. Yeah. I think that's it's like, oh, yeah. I believe lots of things. Now I'm actually asking the question, do I actually believe what I say I believe? Yeah, that's really good. David, it's been so rich. I just want to end. Uh, I know that you have a, a really strong desire to connect Christ and culture. So I just wanted to maybe throw a few questions uh, your way just about what do you what do you think? I mean, it's it's hard and and we're not quoting you on this, but it's it's hard to, to figure out. But what do you think God is doing to the church right now? Or how how is this shaping us um, when it when it comes to meeting Christ and, and this cultural moment? That's a great question. Uh, I'll take a stab at it. I mean, one of the thoughts I had is there's so much in our modern technological world that depersonalizes, that in many ways is Gnostic. It separates our minds from our bodies. And I think in this experience, what we're realizing is the absolute importance of human connection. Uh, Yeah. The desire not just to be online, but to actually be in the presence and the touch of another human being. And uh, I mean, that's our, our faith um, is an embodied faith. The word became flesh. Jesus is embodied bodies matter. And in a world that where the body is increasingly separated from the mind and where the body is, is, is um, denigrated compared to, you know, the the mind or the the person uh, I think the importance of what it means to be human, our bodies. um, I think that's one of the things that's going to come out. I know a lot of people who are just introverts and are happy to be online they're like Do you know what i'm really missing people right yeah so I th- we need I th- each other i think that's one of the things that's going to come out of this i do think that um um i think i do think that the church is going to re- uh, to grow as a response to this and i think as a, as leaders we need to be prepared for that and and to you know celebrate that mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, just one last question. I know that you've done a lot of work with revival. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any connection between crisis moments like this and revival, like, you know, for us as a church, we've just been praying for, um, for God to move powerfully, you know, in, in our own, in our own lives that like, Lord, start with me. But we, we've just been saying, Lord, like, come, come in power. Like we long to see um, uh, people transformed and cities transformed and all that sort of stuff. So is there any, any connection here with crisis and renewal or revival? Yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about that this week. Um One of the characteristics of revival in history, um, the word that goes with revival is surprising. Mm. And uh, it, it's, I, I, there are times in, in church history where there has been a crisis that has preceded a revival. But then there's been times where it's just like, yeah, we never saw it coming. And there's just a revival. And I think that in many ways reflects the heart of God or how God, not typically, how God operates in history is there is no real pattern. I mean, you can say, you know, with revival, prayer usually precedes it. Absolutely. The uh, elevation of God's word. Absolutely. The other characteristic behind all revival is young people. Mm. Yeah, guys like my my age, we don't start revivals. It's mm. all it's all young people. Um, so that is one one thing that's constant. But revivals tend to be surprising, and mm. so I think we pray for a revival, and we say, you know, like Billy Graham said, draw a circle around himself. Revival needs to begin with me, and then right. pray for an awakening in in our in our cities. Um, but I don't think there's a pattern. Yeah. I don't think there's a pattern. Yeah, because I think God in his grace. Well, I heard this one story. I mean, Rick Watts tells this story about this Pentecostal church in Australia every day praying for revival. And they pray for revival for years. And like, you know, with Rick Watts' Australian accent, he goes, oh, God, revive us again. Revive us, revive us. And he's just <laughs> praying for this revival. And revival takes place. Not in the Pentecostal church, but in a very dead Anglican church a couple cities over, a couple towns over. And it's like, wait a minute. They weren't praying for revival, but that's how God, God does what he wants to do. That's right. That's good. Well, David, thanks so much for your time. I, this has been so rich. I think, again, to situate us with our spiritual heritage, you know, how did people, how did, how did people who follow Jesus respond? And I think, I think um, this, of course, is a, is a crisis. It's a, it's surprising, but it, there, there is an opportunity, I think, for, for Christians to be peculiar, to exercise patience, um, to respond differently. And th- th- those things that we chatted about today. So th- thanks for your time. It's been, uh, it's been so good. Oh, you're welcome. It's so much fun, man. Good to okay. see you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thanks again for having a listen and downloading this week's podcast. Check back weekly to hear more from Pastor Chris as he continues to explore relevant topics with guests and experts. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's conversation, certainly let us know. We want to hear from you. You can email info at camloopsalliance.com or text at 778-860-7957. Next week, you can look forward to Pastor Chris's conversation with Chris Price, a pastor and author. He's been pastoring in the Lower Mainland for more than a decade. He's currently part of the launch team for The Way Church, launching in Vancouver in September 2020. He's also written numerous books. 
The latest is a collective project where Chris acted actually as an editor. The new book is called Everyday Apologetics, in which he wrote a chapter entitled, Why Does God Allow Suffering? The episode will focus on the current COVID crisis and God's plan and activity in the midst of this global pandemic. It's pastoral, practical, and insightful. Again, thanks for joining us. Look forward to connecting again with you next week here on the KAC Podcast and online for our weekly gatherings.